Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. We didn't invent the internet or the podcast, just a better way to abuse it. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, these sometimes are irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from my uh, home recording studio here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, just outside of Charlotte. And remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are to listen to this fine show. So if you're underage, go ahead, turn it off now. We won't say anything wrong. Okay, good. There you go. All right, in tonight's show, I am just back from uh, Kansas City, so we will have a trip report of the Kansas City Pipe Show. And we will finish up because uh, summer has officially ended and we are in fall, so we will finish up the uh, story time with Alan Schwartz with uh, the last little bit I had with Alan, a little shorter than I'd like it to be, but uh, there's some good stuff in there, so you'll get to hear that. And then uh, music, mailbag, and rant. All the standard goodies coming up on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, if you happen to see somebody smoking a pipe and standing out on the streets of Portland, it uh, could quite possibly be me because as this goes out, we are on our way to uh, Portland for some uh, stuff with my wife's family, visit some people, and uh Anyway, we're, we're looking forward to it. So we'll be out in Portland. And uh, I've, been, I've, I've only been to Portland once before. And here's what I remember about Portland. The, the coffee was good everywhere. So I'm looking forward to getting a really good cup of coffee everywhere we go. And uh, you know, trying some of the different little, uh, different little coffee houses around as we, uh, as we travel around. So looking forward to that because, you know... The, uh, at, at home, I make a coffee that I enjoy, but when I go out, boy, I love trying some of these little uh, local coffee houses, uh, including the roastery in Kansas City, which uh, makes the coffee for the Argosy Casino at the uh, where the Kansas City Pipe Show is. So, you know, a really good cup of coffee, a, a really good hotel room, you know, that's, that's about all you can ask for. I mean... And a great shower. So, all right, let's get the show rolling. So, everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And speaking of Missouri Meerschaum, so uh, I landed in Kansas City and my uh, retired friend, Mike McNeil, who wasn't busy doing anything because he shut his company down, uh, came and picked me up at the airport. Drove me to the hotel, which was wonderful because it was nice and quick. And I got to see Mike and Mary for a little bit. They dropped me off. And when I was checking in, I saw Pat. Uh, Pat Morgan and her daughter Shannon from Missouri Meerschaum and the first thing they asked me is uh, what are you doing Saturday night well I thought that was kind of a strange offer for uh, you know two ladies from uh, the other side of the state but uh, what they explained to me was that uh, Phil Morgan the general manager of Missouri Meerschaum uh, stayed behind in Washington Missouri because there was a conflict of an event so they had an extra ticket for the Saturday night dinner, so I got to play Phil Morgan of uh, Missouri Meerschaum for the Saturday night dinner. Actually, all I did was hang out and uh, chat with uh, chat with Pat and Shannon, which was uh, even more fun. 
Anyway, the uh, so the the tradition for the pipe club for the Greater Kansas City Pipe Club is to have a meeting on Thursday night, the uh, the Thursday before the show, at their host brick and mortar, and uh, so I got over there. Mike and Mary came and picked me up again, took me over there, and we uh, hung out there for about two and a half hours. Then I got a ride back to the hotel because, you know, after uh, it had been a long week at home and. I was uh, been a long day of traveling, and I was ready to kind of hit the sack and and not stay up all night. So again, got back to the hotel, had a drink, sat outside. Uh, let me tell you right away, in in Kansas City, the times that I've been there, they either have a high of ninety one or a low of nineteen. That's it. This time, the weather was perfect. The weather was absolutely perfect for outdoor sitting all throughout the entire pipe show. It was absolutely wonderful. Apparently, we caught the uh, the, the the three days of fall. We actually caught them in Kansas City this time. So, sitting outside, smoking my pipe with a drink was absolutely perfect. Um, Friday had some stuff to do, and then uh, went and ran some errands. And then Friday night, all the uh, the gathering of the folks began. And as people started to trickle in, everybody kind of hung out at the tent. And then, uh, what what I do for dinner on Friday night? Oh, uh, Levon, Eric, and I went and grabbed a grabbed a quick bite inside the casino. Uh, again, if you're ever in the area, the Argosy Casino has some wonderful people that work there. It's a nice facility, and the restaurants are all really good and and reasonably priced for the quality that you get. Uh, Friday night in the smoking tent. That's when everybody started opening up some of their uh, really old cans of tobacco, including uh, pipe maker Nate King, who was there. He had a tobacco from Holland that had to be from the late 1920s, and originally it was kind of billed as a sweet tobacco, but man, I, I couldn't, couldn't detect any kind of flavoring on it. It was just good old age tobacco, so that was, that was running around. Uh, I had brought the, uh, three nuns that I had and was, uh, offering some folks some bowls. And of course, uh, you know, just a lot of, uh, sitting outside and enjoying the weather and enjoying the company of a bunch of really good, good friends and, uh, hanging out. So that's what Friday night was. Uh, Saturday night, uh, Saturday morning was, uh, <laughs> Saturday morning was, uh, set up, well, since all I'm doing now is uh, promoting the radio show and the uh, travel business, my setup took about, I don't know, about uh, four minutes. So I got there at about 8.45. Uh, got set up, and the highlight, I'll tell you right now, the highlight of the show, and I wish I would have been tuned into this sooner, was there was a guy who had gotten a whole bunch of tobacco in payment for something, and that, uh, that's how the story goes. But he had cases and cases and cases of tobaccos and had them priced super aggressively. So one of the reasons why you should go to a pipe show is because often or not, more often than not, there are some really good deals to be had. Uh, for example, he was selling just standard 50 gram tins of uh Dunhill and uh, all just Dunhill and a, and a whole bunch of assorted stuff. Uh, he was selling them for five dollars each or five for twenty dollars. Well, I came home with uh, 20 tins of tobacco that I wanted, and then there was another guy that was selling some jarred tobacco that he's kind of gotten out of pipe smoking and had put away some tobacco back in the uh, 2001 and I happened to recognize it because it was a McCraney's blend name on there and I knew exactly what the blend was confirmed it with him that he bought it from McCraney's so I got about three pounds of a really good McClellan Virginia Perique based blend for a hundred dollars uh, so again when you go to a pipe show you're gonna run into a whole bunch of really good deals like that and then on the other side, you're going to run into some deals of people that are, uh, you know, awfully proud of their, <laughs> awfully proud of what they've got and proud of their pricing. And you just have to, you, know, you, you, you just have to think, all right, if it's not in my, uh, if it's not in my realm, you know, that's fine. Uh, Saturday during the day, traffic was good for the, for a Kansas City size show. There was a lot of people walking by. 
And I did have a few listeners come up to me and tell me that they love the Pipes Magazine radio show, so they got their little gift. Um, while in between that, I was sharing a table, so I got to get up and take a look and walk around and look at pipes. Uh, most every pipe maker there has been on the show before, so it was really nice, especially with some of these newer guys, to see some of the pipes in person that I may not have really had a chance to look at. Uh, but do go through, uh, you know, you can go through Facebook or other places and find some uh, pictures of some, you know, of pipes that uh, or pictures from the show that are that are really good. Uh, of note, uh, Jeremiah Sandal had a uh, had an incredible pipe that was just a beautiful piece of wood. Uh, Bill Walther had a bent bamboo squat tomato thing that even after the show had ended on Sunday, I still ask him to pull it out and take a look at that again uh and uh you know so just a, a lot of time looking at pipes hands-on with pipes there was a couple of estate sellers there that had some good looking stuff uh there might have even been a little uh, a little tussle over some pricing on one estate pipe between a couple of guys so <laughs> that can happen at a pipe show as well uh saturday night was the dinner and uh, mary mcneil uh, got up after the dinner and was uh, able to tell some stories of pre-McClellan. So just about the, you know, bef right about the beginning of McClellan. And this was kind of the buildup. And that was fun. I mean, just priceless stuff. I'm uh, thinking I may try to get her to uh, come on and do some story time stuff. Uh, and then Saturday night, again, perfect weather, sitting outside, Mike and Mary brought some uh, McClellan tins that were from 1977-78, so it would have been the first year. So these are 40, 41-year-old Virginia tobaccos, and they were just as... <laughs> they were kind of worried about them because back then they didn't really can them for age and didn't know what to expect from them. But uh, they opened up, and boy, were they uh, they were beautiful smelling. Um I, I hate to leave out names, but uh, on Saturday night in particular, Greg Pease and I uh, got to uh, goofing around and having a uh, having a really fun time at some other folks' expense, but <laughs> nobody will ever know except for you guys. Uh, but it's always fun to hang out with Greg, and Kansas City is one of the shows that he does enjoy going to, so I get to see him there, and hopefully we'll get to see him coming up at the West Coast Pipe Show. Uh, Sunday... You know what? I went around and I looked and I did pick up a pipe from uh, Alexander Hasty, who will be on the show next week. And all I can say is just start watching his work now. Um, I brought some of my own pipes to sell. And the funny thing is, I sold one on Thursday before the show had opened while I was just sitting outside waiting and relaxing in the afternoon. Uh, didn't sell another one. Uh and this is this is the uh, this is how I will sum up this Kansas City show. In the past, in my observations, I would always find really good tobaccos at Columbus at the NASPC show, and then at uh, and then at Kansas City, it was it was always more of a pipe show where I'd find you know some pipes that I liked and thought that they were a really good deal, so I'd buy them. Well, last you know, last uh, NASPC show, I didn't find any tobacco that really tripped my trigger. But this year, I came home with a bunch of really good tobacco. In fact, uh, you know, about five and a half pounds of it, and found one pipe that I one pipe that made me want to pull the trigger on it. So there you go. You never know what you're going to get when you walk into a pipe show. You just have to go in with an open mind and uh, you know and enjoy the uh, the really good people that are around you. All right, that'll wrap up the uh, Kansas City Pipe Show because on Sunday all I did was fly home and that was uneventful, thankfully. And uh, then, yeah, hey, nothing going on in Portland pipe-wise except for me trying to sneak in good cups of coffee coming up. All right, in just a moment, the final story times with Alan Schwartz. This is Internet Radio. Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over 10 years. 
My granddad enjoys his evening pipe on the front porch. My father prefers his in the study, and well, me, I like to hang outside the local coffee shop with a pipe in one hand and my smartphone in the other. The best selection is at SmokingPipes.com. They always have the exact pipe I'm looking for. Savinelli, Peterson, Dunhill, and great stuff from dozens of top artisans around the world. Plus, they have over 70 tobacco brands with 750 blends to choose from. Lighters, tampers, tobacco jars, yep, they have that too. But the best part about SmokingPipes.com is that it's easy to order from my computer, tablet, or even my smartphone. And if Granddad has trouble with technology, he can always call them at 1-888-366-0345. I heard that. Do you think I'm deaf? I'm the one who told you about SmokingPipes.com, and I had a smartphone before you. You kids today, blah, blah. blah. SmokingPipes.com. Make it your family tradition. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. And if you remember back to the last uh, story time with Alan Schwartz, we left off. He was talking about tobacco blending or how they would uh, work on or create a blend. So that's kind of where we uh, where we pick up with uh, Alan Schwartz uh, talking about coal house and cop and tobacco blending. Anyway, and then then they would uh, keep the they would then cut them as they needed them. So let's say they needed a uh, uh, blend uh, flake X100. I just made up that name. I don't know what it's called. But X, it's called X100 for the purpose of this conversation. They needed that because it was the base for uh, certain tobaccos. And some of them, let's say Old Gowry, uh, which I keep coming back to largely because it's my favorite uh, flake tobacco, uh, uh, but <laughs> I smoked it for years and years and years. Uh, they would then uh, set up the uh, cake in the uh, one by one in the cutting machine and it had no flavor on it so they didn't have to do anything uh you know they they moisten it or put something uh, on the blades which was standard and the blades drove any flavor that they had through so let's say the same thing that was just cut and then uh, a triple cut uh meaning uh, up down sideways so it came out the size of packable flakes, you know, whatever they were, like two and a half inches long. That would go into the tins, and then it went to another department that packed them and put them in tin, tended that was something else. But actually, on the tobacco floor, they would do that and then uh, move the whole thing uh, over to wherever it was being packed. And it was all packed by hand, you know. Or you had a bunch of people, mostly women, sitting in line, and with with a supply of this tobacco and pulling it pulling it off the. Uh, uh, it wasn't a conveyor belt, pu- pulling it off the, 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 the bench in which it was laid out and putting it into a tin. And everything about that was hand. It was packed by hand, measured, fit, weighed, and then uh, sent down on a conveyor belt to a, a machine that sealed it, um, you know, by putting pressure on the tin and exhausting the air inside. And you had a vacuum sealed tin. Uh, and it could put different kinds of pressure. You wanted, you know, you wanted the tin to last a forever. You were sending it to Hong Kong. You probably put more pressure on it, uh, and it aged according to the amount of pressure. This all worked out very scientifically. The people who manufacture the coal, like that coal hazard, uh, um Peterson, they know they know the details now to the letter. Um, anyway. Now, the same flake, and here's where we get the same flake that was the Rattray's X100 uh, could be used for other things. And how could they use it for other things? They could add a little rum flavor to it. And then you get, uh, which, uh, um, not Peterson, but they all do, but uh, McConnell did all the time. Uh, So uh, you didn't get a completely uh, unfair, flavored over top dressing it would be called if it was in in bulk tobacco not flake i'm talking flake uh, bulk tobacco they would simply uh you cut the tobacco first and simultaneously with the cutting they would spray some flavor on it the density of what they sprayed whether they sprayed it you know at what stage of the manufacture and so on it could be treated as what they call a top dressing which is just what they put on afterward or it could be integrated into the pressure cooking of the leaves um you know earlier on in flake just as in mixture you could you could uh, you could flavor it before before heating and tumbling and so on and you could do it afterward do it afterward it's called top dressing do it during the process it's called flavoring they're the same, but one the flavoring will give you much more intensity if you if you if you actually cook the flakes with a flavor in it 
as opposed to top dressing. Now, the English always did the top dressing on flakes. Uh, so, and I, it was amazing to see how they did it in the Kohlhauser factory in Peterson too. They actually would take would take the let's say old Gowrie was going to become looking at some tins of Peterson flakes was going to become uh, you know. Uh, uh, Scottish flake. It's not, but I mean, it was going to become uh, 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 McConnell's Scottish flake. Okay, so they would lay it out in the same cutting machine, but this time the surface of the tobacco would be hand painted with a white rum blend or, or a dark uh, rum blend, depending on the type of taste you wanted. That, and then it was actually. And here we get into the difference in companies. In the American companies that flavored tobacco, they were allowed to use artificial flavors. So the, in, in Germany and England and so on, they used the real McCoy. If it said rum, it better be rum. It's the essence of rum. It wasn't like they opened up bottles of rum, you know, because they didn't want all the alcohol in it. That would get, make the tobacco very hot. But they used a rum essence that was uh, actually, you know, derived from the, the sugar cane, whatever it is, and, and uh and had a tiny bit of alcohol because in order to get the essence, you had to uh, pickle it in effect. But uh, they would paint it on the top. I mean, would paint with a little can. They had it in a bottle and they painted this. And they read the bottle and said, it said in German, but I knew what it was. It was rum essence. And they <laughs> painted it. They diluted perhaps, but only with water. And they painted across the top of the flake. With The flake is, let's say, roughly a yard square. I'm just making that up, but it's, it's about that. Uh, and and uh, they painted across the top of the flake and then start the cutter. And the cutter would drive the flavor down through the block of flake, which was, let's say, about an inch, an inch thick, roughly. And... And then they'd have, and then they'd let it sit for a while, and that flavor was driven into the flake enough to act as a top dressing. So by the time it got through the entire, the entire, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, cake, the cake of this flake, uh, which I mean the uncut part, uh, the uncut cut portion of it, which they had brought in from um, Peterson factory. They'd let it seep down through, and then they'd uh, a certain amount of time. I don't know what their time thing was. Uh, uh, they couldn't turn it over until it was, uh, you know, manageable because then it would all fall apart. But so they did that. They let it seep down through, and then, it would, and then they would pack it. And so the same tobacco that, let's say, it made Old Gallery, in turn became Peterson's Scottish Flake. And if you did that. Uh, with something else, which I'm sure they did, and you put, you know, uh, um, a potato pancakes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. or you put a, a bourbon, or you put the essence, or you put licorice, or whatever it happened to be, you'd get a different flavor in the flake, all starting with the same base. It was a very interesting process to watch and to learn about, and to see these these people, these workers and, and uh, foremen who, who were used to doing this, and... Uh, Anyway, that that was that part of it, and I just thought of another another uh, experience which I can narrate to you. Uh, after you know, after Michael Kohlhaser bought uh, the whole McConnell operation and brought it over to Europe, and it took a while; it didn't happen overnight. But after he brought it over to Europe, and they started from the blend book that McConnell had, which was all handwritten, by the way, and it was the accretion of uh, over a century of business, because uh, McConnell started back in the mid-19th century. Uh, I don't remember the exact date. I used to know this instantly, but it's easy, easy enough to find. Uh, and the blend book was all handwritten in large ledger books, you know, that... Uh, so here was the formula, let's say, we'll stick with the same one we're talking about. Here was the formula for Old Gowery, and here was the formula for, for Scottish mixture, or whatever it was. And the, Michael called me in New York, and he said, you know, one of the problems here that I'm having is that I can't really read the handwriting. I said, what do you mean you can't read the handwriting? He said, well, first of all, yeah, my English is good, but I'm German native speaker. He said, I'm not used to reading this kind of script, which is, is difficult to read. So I, I knew it was difficult to read because I had seen those books. I said, okay. He said, can you help us? I said, yeah, I can. So he said, okay, this is what I want to do. 
He said, when will you be uh, here? I said, you can send me copies. He said, it's too complicated. I want you to come here and try the different, what we were different, what we constructed from what we could read and what the, um, and what the print of certain things that we just can't read, what this, the handwriting, the script. Uh, it was an older English, 19th century English uh, longhand script written with a, you know, written with a pen that you dipped in an inkwell. Uh, so <laughs> it was um, not easy, but it wasn't that alien to me. But it was certainly alien to him and to, to Hans Peterson and so on. He couldn't get help, and he, I was the one he thought of. He said, bring Joan because she'll be able to read it better. I said, she won't be able to, but I did bring it sometimes because by that time we were friends, and and, uh, and his wife and Joan were very friendly, and I knew his kids. I knew Adam and Danny when they were little kids. So, you know, it just uh, um, they've taken over the business. Okay, and they played with one of my my youngest daughter and so on, who, in any case, it was fun, but I, I would go over and he would say, and bring at least half a dozen pipes. Why? Because I arrived to find the Peterson brothers were also there, and they had prepared multiple samples of what they thought would get the closest to Old Gowery, uh, this, this, that, and the other, uh, McConnell or, and or um, uh, Rattray's uh, Rat trace formula because they were making them in Germany or in Denmark, and you make the same tobacco in Denmark uh, and or in Germany, and you and it will taste completely different from what was made in England, and that's because of the water. You know, if you, yep. you, 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 I mean, most people don't know that, but it's really true. Even if you use distilled water, you know, if you, but the, but the water has slightly different chemicals, slightly, you know, higher, uh, the, uh, um, what, what is it called? The, uh, the acidity base scale is different. It, it's, it's well known. You produce, uh, you try to produce Scotch whiskey in, in Japan and you get Suntory. See, and you guys thought that I was crazy when I talked about the water in the factory and how the the water in the factory determines what the flavor, the base flavors of some tobaccos. Well, there's Alan Schwartz talking about you know the water and whiskey. Um, but yeah, you really can't. Uh, you know, once you move something, the water's different, the atmosphere's different, the climate's different, and that's what you get. All right, we'll take a break right here. When we come back, we'll have more. Uh, We'll have the final segment of Storytime with Alan Schwartz. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic Cashmere, the sultry Licoricea, and the striking Archibaldino Red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And here goes uh, Alan Schwartz continuing with the water and for the final segment of Storytime with Alan Schwartz. Okay, I mean, it's that sort of thing. So they had me come over, and there we were, both Peterson. It was just funny. Both Peterson brothers, Michael Kohlhauser and myself and somebody else, his blender from the factory, and all of us had loads of pipes, and the Peterson brothers, who had put together most of the mixtures and flakes, would say, okay, this is Old Gowry 1. Now, uh, I'd like you all to try some, and we took a little bit, and we rubbed it out, and put in the pipe and, and okay he smoked that for you know five minutes and now we have old gallery two and we all had brought a number of pipes it was really very funny uh when you think about it and there we were you know um i was i was the, the most neophyte in the group you know the youngest uh and latest entry to the group but they didn't act that way 
they, in fact, they wanted my experience because I was actually the only one who had ever smoked those tobaccos in the way they were made in London. <laughs> you understand? So the yeah. so what the Peterson brothers and the and the Kohlhauses had was the blend book, and they had sample tins of the tobacco, but they had never they had never been present at the birth. I wasn't really present at the birth, but they were never really. They never really used it over long periods of time, and I knew the McConnell and the uh, and the Freiburg and Trayer and all, all all the blends that were produced by McConnell. I knew all those blends intimately. I had smoked every one of them, and some of them became uh, favorites that I smoked continuously. A couple of the mixtures, and certainly the the flake that was used for Old Gowrie or McConnell Scottish uh, Scottish flake, and so on. So I was the only one who ever tasted them in the way that they originally were. And what we were doing is we were smoking all this tobacco. And believe me, at the end of the day, my tongue <laughs> felt like a bus driver's glove. You know, yeah. <laughs> believably rough and and worn. But we finally came to a conclusion that this, or sometimes it was a choice, that this was most like the the original as it came out of England. Because and they they then had to make their technical adjustments. Did this mean that if it was a blend with some flavor in it, they had to adjust the flavoring level? Absolutely, they couldn't use the same way because that would change the taste. Did this mean that they had to import the water? It didn't work because that's what Suntory tried, and it still came out as as Suntory, not Scotch. Um, did it mean that they had to make minor adjustments in the quantities of the blend? Absolutely. And that's a technical and skill problem. And as far as I was concerned, the Peterson brothers and Michael Kohlhaas, even after I left, they did a marvelous job. You know, they really did a marvelous job based upon their research, which included bringing all of us over at the same time to try all of these things. That actually happened. I'm condensing it to, into one. It happened over a couple of months where we went several times to try that and, and the same technique with a half a dozen pipes or more if you wanted, but all traveling light. But um, it um, and, and they worked it out. And then you got the consumer reaction, which I always thought was very funny. Um, and I will say this, and then I'll stop. I would get somebody coming up to me at the Chicago Pipe Show because I was actually active in, in selling it. Then you know we would book, put on set. You you probably remember us from then. You probably set up tables at the show, yeah. and we'd have all the different tobaccos that we represented and the pipes and so on. Not not every single thing, but mostly the things that I knew. The 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 buyers at the show, which are mostly um, uh, you know uh, uh, amateurs, enthusiasts, uh, and I would have somebody come to me and say, in later years, I understand he would say, you know the the uh, the rat trays old gallery or the uh, um, again using the other one, the Scottish uh, flake or the such and such mixture. Uh, is is not the same as it was when, uh, you know, years ago. And I would look at this young man who was about, let's say, 18 years old. You know, they, by a certain point, they all looked like they were 18 years old. But I would look at a young man and I'd say, well, wait a second. When they were making this in Scotland by Rattrays, you weren't alive. <laughs> so, so how do you know that it was different? And he would say, well, I, I I, don't know. Somebody told me it's different. I said, but did, 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 you can't get it unless somebody has an old tin and they're going to charge you $200 for it. I said, then you can't replicate it. So what you have to do is smoke the one that we have that we, because that's the one that we're producing and that we're selling. And unless somebody else buys the company, uh, you know, it's, it, this is not going to, it's not going to be changed. And even if somebody else buys the company, the co-ops is what I have to agree to change it. You know, this is what we arrived at, uh, cohesively, uh, concurrently, uh, with, with, uh, the original Kohlhase and, and with everybody else who was on that ad hoc committee, um, I said, so it's going to continue that way. And there are always natural variations anyway. You know, the one year's crop is more acidic, the next year's crop is less, and they make slight adjustments to compensate for it. Uh, but um, I was always amused by somebody coming up, oh, you can't get the real stuff anymore, you know. And, or or saying a, a similar remark was, is, is this, uh, I think I used it the other day, is, is this uh, uh, Syrian Latakia? 
And I said, I frankly don't know, but I really doubt it. Oh, why? And I would say, because, you know, they're too busy making war on themselves and neighbors to grow tobacco. I said, maybe a couple of farmers are growing smaller quantities, but, uh, you know, it's not what any any blender of size, certainly in the United States or in England, can, can use. Um, they, they have to have enough substance so that the blend tastes the same and has to be consistent. It's, a, it's become... A, not merely a boutique tobacco, but uh, you know, just a couple of boutiques uh, about as close to uh, the city of Latakia, which is actually some place um, as uh, you know, as you yeah. are to the corner candy store. It's, <laughs> forget it, you're not going to get it. Um, but they insist on carrying on that conversation. But Cyprian, I said, you know, that's what you're going to get. I mean, so then stop smoking Latakia blends because if you're smoking Latakia blend in the United States. Or in England, you're getting Cyprian Latakia. Come hell or high water, you know, you're not going to find the other stuff. Unless you go to Syria and get killed, but you might find a handful of Latakia uncured. But it's all of that wonderful mythology that makes the business and gives you stories to tell for years. Look, I love the tobacco business. I still love it. I love pipes. Um, and I taught many a smoker what I thought was the right lesson. And the right lesson was um, the pipes with the brand names on it have worked very hard to make the brand names, especially the high-end pipes. But they're not necessarily going to give you the best and only smoke. If you're interested in smoking a pipe, you have to find a good, a really good retailer whom you trust when I was younger with Barclay Rex. And you have to buy, you know, virgin briar pipes. Uh, you can buy them without fills or with fills or... As I showed them here, a couple of virgin briars that I picked up at the Chacon factory when I was buying pipes to sell, to, as you see here. And uh, you see that they have a little, some little tiny pit holes. And I said to uh, uh, one of the Grenards who owned, I said, I want these two pipes. You know, and he said, why? He said, they have little holes we were going to fill them. I said, don't fill them. They're beautiful. Just, he said, what should I do? I said, just wax them and put a stem on each one. That's one. The pipes I want for me. I know they're going to smoke perfectly. They're the best smoking pipes I have, along with many others <laughs> like it, because that's what you need to smoke a pipe. That's what you need a good piece of wood that's properly aged and carefully drilled, and it doesn't matter what it says on 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 the shank, uh, what the brand says. It doesn't have to say anything, which, by the way, drives people crazy. <laughs> that was my favorite nasty trick. I would have pipes that I picked up at the Chacom or whatever factory I was buying from that I was smoking myself. And they would say, oh, what kind of pipe is that? That's beautiful. I said, I don't know. They would say, what do you mean you don't know? I said, well, I know where I got it, but I don't know what kind of pipe it would become. But I can't, I, first of all, I can't divulge that. That's, that's, that's not for public. Second of all, you couldn't replicate it. So what's the point? I said, it's a, it's a virgin briar pipe of no particularly distinguished grain, but it smokes as sweetly as anything you could ever buy anywhere. And uh, how do I know that? Because I know a lot about the process of manufacturing. And I've said that to people. Um, and I said, not only do I know about the process of making it, but I, I smoke it myself. So, and it's absolutely great. You know, plus, if I'm sitting at my desk and working, and I smoke a pipe, I fill it up, I light it, I, I, I can't pay attention to it normally, so I put it down, and I continue typing or doing whatever I'm doing, and I, I light, pick it up, and I light it again. I, I don't, the ritual of pipe smoking doesn't work for me, except if in the evening I'm sitting and reading a book or watching television or taking a walk in the park. I said, then I can be very careful about what I smoke, how I smoke it, where I said, but otherwise, if it's part of my constant, constant uh, day, it's, um, you know, it's like coffee in the morning. I, I, I love coffee, but I drink it because I have to have some, you know, coffee and a piece of bread before the day starts. So that, that's it. You know, some days it's better, some days it's not so good. Maybe it's my mouth, even though I measure it all every, maybe it's the water tastes different. Uh, but there you go. It's the same thing with pipes. Sometimes it'll taste wonderful. Sometimes it'll just be another pipe. And uh, but you know you 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 can be a dedicated pipe smoker without spending a fortune and money simply by buying carefully and not paying too much attention to the to the so-called brand name, because that uh, it may may yield results. 
uh, you know, as in my dad, who would only buy Dunhills or Davidoffs or things like that, off pipes from Barclay Rex because he trusted them. It's a matter of building up the trust and a matter of uh, choosing what you like and what suits you. And uh, don't enter into the, this is better than that contest because uh, it's not. <laughs> That's the end of what I could say for today. Another time, another say, but that I've about reached. I haven't exhausted, but I think time is exhausted at the moment. And just to recap, uh, the Peterson brothers that uh, that that Alan spoke of—that's the Petersons of A and C Peterson, the uh, pipe tobacco company in Denmark. Uh, interesting how Alan falls on the. Uh, remember, we talked way back a couple of years ago about the brand versus Briar. Uh, Alan falls more on the Briar side of it. And I will fall somewhere in between because I think what happens is, uh, you know, once you find a uh, once you find a company that uses the type of briar or the treatment to the pipes that you like, that brand becomes a reliable companion for you. So, uh, you know, it becomes a mix of it. You know, you, you like the way a certain pipe company cuts stuff or shape stuff or treats their briar well you're gonna like all of the way they do that so identifying a brand or identifying a pipe maker that you like the way they work that's you know finding the briar within a brand that you like uh and then quickly learning how you you know what you like about pipes and what shapes and feels and stem work you like well, that becomes, uh, you know, that, that comes over time. Uh, you know, the Peterson P-Lip is a unique, it's a unique stem, and uh, it either comes down on the you-hate-it side or you-love-it side. But, uh, yeah, brand versus briar. You know, can you, uh, can you take a, a really bad piece of briar and give it to a great pipe maker and have them make a great pipe? I, I don't think so. But at the same time, is a, uh, is a, brand that's got a great reputation are they are they going to settle for bad briar no they're not but uh yeah it would have been fun to go through a uh, pipe factory with alan and have him uh, pick out a pipe or two for me that he thought would be a great smoker and uh, and see how it worked out <laughs> anyway that wraps up uh what was about four hours of recordings with alan schwartz and I want to thank Alan deeply for uh, for what he's done for the community, the hobby, and for sitting down and telling his stories to us. Uh, if you like that idea, I've got a couple other people that I'm thinking I could do some story times with. And uh, don't forget, we've also got uh, I've got about two hours of me and Sykes Wilford sitting and talking during uh, during hurricane stuff. So that's coming up too. So. Uh, we've got more more story times with Sykes and me. Um, all right, in uh, we'll have uh, music and uh, and mailbag coming up in just a moment. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation, from the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal Low Country. It's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, We've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco. Blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellandDeal.com. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Normally, this is the time when I remind you to go check out whoever's website or talk a little bit about it, but I can't because uh, Alan's retired out of the business. And again, I want to thank him you know, for, for doing all that with me. 
Uh, it does remind me that uh, going back to, uh, and this leads into the music, but going back to the, one of the first, uh, I, I think the first time I really met Scott Thiele was at a Kansas City pipe show. And I know that's the first place I bought one of my uh, one of my Scott Thiele pipes. Uh, now that Kansas City's moved the show into the school year, you won't find Scott there. But what I did find, and uh, I was reminded of... Uh, yeah, of I remind myself now that I keep teasing Scott about being a platinum recording artist because the uh, Nickel Creek album that came out in 2000, Scott was uh, Scott was the bass player on the band, and uh, this album has sold over a million records. Uh, so Scott's a platinum recording artist. Uh, his son Chris Thiele, you know, gone on to do a few great things. Uh, anyway, this song is called Sweet Afton, and it's based off of the Robert Burns uh, lyrical poem, uh, and uh, Chris wrote this, and anyway, it's really beautiful, and don't forget, Sweet Afton was also the name of a cigarette, and for a while, I believe there was a pipe tobacco called Sweet Afton, so here's uh, Nickel Creek's Sweet Afton. Sweeps over the leaves 
from the self-titled album Nickel Creek, released in 2000, featuring uh, pipe maker Scott Thiele on bass. Uh, and there was a uh, Robert Burns cigar, although I don't think he made them because he uh, died long before cigars were popular. Master, I have mail for you. In the mailbag, going back to last week's show, Down Home Smoker says, Good show, Brian. It's interesting how some people just naturally understand how to do something. In John's case, that is making pipes. It sounds like you were really roughing it through the storm. Not. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, Don't mind me. That's just my jealousy of you smoking 30-year-old tobacco. (laughs) Ha ha. The upcoming stories you mentioned have me waiting with great anticipation. As far as your rant goes, I'm with you. You can tell a lot about someone by how insensitive they are towards animals. Let me know if you need some help tying people up to telephone poles, pleasant smokes. Yeah, I actually like the idea of, you know, putting them in a a very large dog kennel and locking it and putting it at the bottom of a pool. Uh, Casey Ghost, Dan says, must be pretty nice to have a house guest who pays you in 30-year-old three nuns. Uh, That's the original Made in England stuff, right? Yeah, actually, the tin says made in Scotland, so still part of the Great Britain. Uh, then he goes on to say, John uh, John Inge seems like a nice fellow. Shame about the engineering to music to philosophy changes. That's tough. He went from eminently enjoyable to unemployable in one fell swoop. And he's restoring an old Plymouth Valiant. Why? <laughs> well, he likes it. Uh, and then he says, uh, you can't abandon your animals when times get tough. Either stay with them or take them with you, even if you have a zillion of them, and don't leave them in a locked cage. Amen. Uh, Piper Eager says, Piper Eager, P-I-B-E-R-Y-G-E-R, you pronounce it, said, on the show, you're always telling us to go out in public and smoke our pipes. Today I'm walking and smoking during my lunch hour and walk past two little kids and their grandma. Kid number one, very excited, says, look, I've seen one of those in a movie. Kid number two, yeah, it's an old man thing. Grandma says, it's called a pipe. Well, there you go. So maybe we've got uh, one new uh, pipe smoker coming up on the way somewhere. Uh, Anyway, yeah, do get outside, smoke a pipe, walk in front of people. And then iTunes reviews, uh, which we absolutely love. And if you haven't had a chance, please go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review with a uh, rating and all that stuff. Uh, Izzy Perpy 2003 says, best pipe podcast. I discovered this podcast about three months ago and have enjoyed it immensely. By far the best podcast around regarding all things pipes and tobaccos. Well, I do appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, I'll keep them coming so uh, 
so you got more to listen to. Uh, while you're on iTunes, our own Kevin Godby has a, a local podcast for the St. Petersburg Foodies, and it's called the St. Petersburg St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast or Radio Show. Anyway, look for it on iTunes and uh, give uh, give Kevin some love there. And finally, got this email yesterday, and it's from Jay Woodford, and Jay says, Brian, thank you for the great shows. I really enjoy them while I drive around seeing customers. I'm an outside sales rep for a Napa auto parts store in Pennsylvania. So that means he's got Napa know-how. Then he says, I recently joined the YouTube pipe community and met a gentleman through there that lives about an hour from me. We both live in Pennsylvania and would like to start a pipe club. Can you provide me with information on what to do and how to do it to start a pipe club? I've never been involved in a pipe club, so I don't know how formally or informally they are organized. I'd appreciate any information you could provide or if you could point me in the right direction. Thanks. Sincerely, Jay Peddler Piper on uh, YouTube. All right, Jay, here's uh, here's what I suggest. Uh, you and the other guy in Pennsylvania, well, you need to set a date of the month. What I mean by that is you need to pick one day out of the month where you're going to meet every month. Our uh, pipe club here meets the third Sunday, or we'll move it forward or backward a Sunday, depending on what's going on on that day. So pick one day and then stick to it. Don't bounce around. If people can't make it on that day, sorry. So stick to it for a year. Uh, the way you get the message out is through YouTube, Facebook. You can go on to pipesmagazine.com and go onto the forums and click on pipe clubs. And there's a whole listing there of a whole bunch of uh, pipe clubs that have started up, formed, whatever. But that's a way to get the message out. Use the forums, use Facebook, use your YouTube groups. And again, pick a day and stick to it. Uh, start promoting with from that one day. Now, as far as a, uh, you know, you got to find a place to meet. That's important, preferably a place to meet where you're not dealing with weather and you can smoke inside. So find a place, pick a date. Uh, formal or informal, it ranges. Man, it really runs the gambit from... Some pipe clubs have a uh, are, are so formal that every meeting's got a subject and every meeting's got some speaker or somebody coming to present something. Some are as casual as like my group. We just happen to be whoever can make it that day. We all come and hang out and, you know, we all try to bring tobaccos and pop them open for each other and pass them around so that people can try stuff. In, in my case, I tend to bring the stuff that I'm not going to keep anymore that I either got at a pipe show or I got for reviews or whatever, and I put it out on the table, and then I let them know that I'm not going home with that, so everybody take it. Uh, formal or informal, it really depends. It just depends on how you guys want to do it. Do you want to have a... Uh, an English pipe week where everybody brings their pipes that are made in England. You want to have a Meersham week, a Meersham month where everybody brings a Meersham. It just depends. I think the most successful ones just don't have a formula or a format. But you got to, to me, the most important thing is a pipe club starts with two guys getting together and then they add more and add more and they do it consistently the same day of the month, the same pattern, the same place, and then they develop a routine and then you grow it and you keep talking about it, keep promoting it through social media and through forums and just keep pushing it out there. That's the best way that I can say to do it. If anybody else has any ideas, suggestions, or stuff like that, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on pipesmagazine.com. While you're on Facebook doing your social media to promote your pipe club, follow the Pipes Magazine radio show there. Uh, And then travel-wise, I've had a couple people come up to me and talk to me about doing a uh, pipe-related trip or pipe pilgrimages to... uh, you know, to great places and stuff like that. Uh, 
I, I hesitate to even start working on stuff like that because, first of all, I don't think anybody's going to want to spend six or $7,000 to go to Ireland and Italy to see pipe factories. Uh, and then the coordination of stuff is relatively hard. Um, but if you're a pipe smoker and you're going on vacation and you want places to go to that are a little more friendly to enjoy your pipe, reach out to me, brian.levine at mei-travel or any of the other ways, and I am glad to help you with a cruise or a trip to Florida or an all-inclusive or you want to go on a European riverboat cruise, there's a couple of deals going on now with that. So reach out to me. I'll help you the best I can. All right. Pipe show-related rant coming up next. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. several years now the Kansas City Pipe Club has been putting on the uh, what do they call it the North American Pipe Carvers competition in the seven day set and they sell raffle tickets to it well here's what happens and every year it's happened I see for weeks afterwards posts or comments about wow that pipe made that, that that pipe didn't make it in the set that pipe made it in the set what are they thinking oh my god what are they thinking how could it be that well First of all, let me say congratulations to the seven winners this year. They are Micah of Yeti Pipes, Abe Herbaugh, Scotty of Lady Briar Pipes, Walt Hedinger, Sand, uh, Jeremiah Sandal, Brandon Brooks, and Jesse Jones. So congratulations to all of you. This year was a traditional Prince, a classic Prince-shaped pipe. And there's, again, there's controversy over... Whether or not you can limit a North American carver or, you know, an individual pipe maker into a traditional format or should you allow for this or that. So here's what, here's, let me, let me just give you my, my two cents on it. One, there's three judges. It's a competition. There's rules. There's guidelines. And if you win, you win. If you don't, you don't. And that's great. You know? All right. Move on with your life. Uh, if you don't like the choices that the judges made, well, great. Then you're like the Miss America, uh, you know, like the people that watch Miss America and complain. Great. It happens. Get over it. Uh, if you don't like the shape that they chose, well, good. Me neither. I don't like the prince shape. It's too fat and squatty, and once you get it lit, it's out. I'm, I don't have a prince in my collection, except for some Disney pipes, but I don't care. Uh, if you, you know, whatever it is, here's my two things that I don't mind, that I, that I disagree with. One, I disagree with the fact that it had to be a traditional print shape. That's a factory shape. It's factory set. And these are individual artisan carvers. Let them do their interpretation of it. And the best ones win Two, when you're doing a pipe show and there's vendors that are renting tables, well, and you're selling all these raffle tickets for 25 bucks a piece, you're taking money off the show floor and out of the market, and you're giving it to sometimes some people that didn't show up for the show or didn't exhibit. So there you go. You know, leave the money at the show. Maybe do this uh, Carver's contest off the show. That's my thoughts, and it's completely up to me. It's completely up to you. All right, once again, I really want to thank Alan Schwartz for the four hours of phone calls. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And uh, before I leave, I want to wish everybody a fun and happy time, a great time at the uh, enrichment at the core show coming up this weekend in Richmond, Virginia, and maybe next year. But I'll just leave you with until next time. Happy trails to you.
bombadira 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 who cares about the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny fish balls coming right out i'll hurry it up all right all i've had today is like six gummy bears and some scotch